was very gracious in defeat. That is how the Republican, George W. Bush, described his rival, the Democrat, John Kerry. At the end of the cliffhanger, United States presidential election. If only they were so nice to each other during the election. After a record turnout with 150 million people choosing to vote, George W. Bush clinched victory after winning the key state of Ohio. He will now take his seat in the White House for another four years. In making his victory speech on Wednesday night, President Bush told the world, I am proud to lead such an amazing country, and I am proud to lead it forward. And in making the statement, he highlights a key feature of life. Life involves making an impact, for good or for bad. So Winston Churchill, another politician, recognised this when he once declared, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. So what about being a Christian? How do you make an impact in your world for Jesus Christ? In the Bible, we come across an individual called Joshua, who lived a life that made an impact in his world. And his story is told in the book of Joshua. And this book comes after the Pentateuch which are the first five books of the Old Testament. And it is the first of what is referred to as the historical books of the Old Testament. And it covers a period of at least 800 years. So before we look at Joshua chapter 1, let's first pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would help us to understand and obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Joshua lived a life that made an impact. And the thing to notice right at the start is that Joshua made an impact in the particular situation in which God placed him. For we all face different situations at home and in work. We all face different challenges. So let's start by looking at the situation Joshua found himself in. In verse 3, we read that God said to Joshua, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Now this is key to the whole book. Joshua is a book primarily about God working out his purposes and God's faithfulness to his promise. So firstly, there is a promise made. Now, the immediate context of this promise can be found if you turn one page backwards to Deuteronomy chapter 34. We found Moses climbing Mount Nebo. He was 120 years old and he was still climbing mountains. If he lived in Scotland, I am sure he would have bagged a few Monroes. And on this mountain, God renews the promise he made to Moses. We find in Exodus chapter 3. When God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he promised 
not only to deliver the Israelites from bondage in Egypt, but to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. Now we also find in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 4 and 5, that this promise actually went way back before Moses' time to Abraham. Back in Genesis chapter 12, in fulfilling his plan of salvation for humankind, God had promised to bless Abraham and make his descendants into a great nation. However, God would choose the right time for Israel to enter this promised land. Now that time had arrived. And so here we come to a promise received. Now the book of Joshua begins with the tribes of Israel camped on the east side of the Jordan. And you can see this river on the map. They are about to enter the land of Canaan, the promised land. And this is 40 years after wandering about in a desert because of their disobedience to God. And the thing about this promise is that they had to go forward and receive it. And Joshua was to lead them into it. Moses is now dead in verse 2. And so God calls Joshua to take his place. He's a different man with different gifts for the new situation. And the moral, the moral is, don't live in the past or try to imitate other people. Just be yourself. Charles Price, the pastor of the People's Church in Toronto, writes in his study on Joshua, this is not a record of what Joshua did for God, so much as a record of what God did through Joshua. Joshua's life made an impact in his particular situation. And there are three key lessons we can learn from Joshua's life. So very simply, we're going to look at each lesson in turn. Here's the first one. Responding to God's will. In verses 1 to 5. Now there are two things to notice about responding to God's will. Firstly, Joshua's life was to borrow shamelessly from the title of Rick Warren's books, Purpose Driven. If you're ever feeling down, let me give you a suggestion. Take a look at the Guinness Book of World Records website. There are some incredible stories of people who are driven by some totally bizarre ambitions. And it always makes me feel normal. For, for example, take George Blair. George Blair also known as Banana George to his friends, there's a picture coming up, and I'm not making this up, decided one day to water ski barefoot on Lake Florence in Florida on the 10th of February 2002. And get this, he is 87 years old. I always thought you were supposed to get wiser as you got older. And Joshua was someone who was driven by a purpose. Not to water ski barefoot on the River Jordan, his ultimate purpose in living was to serve God in whatever situation he found himself. You see, the story of Joshua leading Israel into the promised land does not come out of the blue. They didn't just come along one day and say, Hi, I'm Joshua. There's a history behind it. For almost 40 years, God had been preparing Joshua. Notice, he was someone who was faithful in the small tasks. We first read about Joshua in Exodus chapter 17, where he was a leader in the battle against the Malachites. In other words, 
He simply wanted to respond to God's will in his life. He didn't just want the big jobs. He would have happily have served tea and coffee in the church kitchen. And that presents a challenge to all of us, whatever we are involved in, whether it's YPM, CU, Junior Church, Midgery, are we being involved in the small things? Graham Scroggy, a former pastor of this church, writes, If day by day we first seek divine direction and then follow it, we shall be ready when new circumstances arise for the new blessings which will be offered. The only evidence that we shall be willing for God's will tomorrow is that we are subject to his will today. And it's a question we can all ask ourselves. In the choices I make for an occupation, for a marriage partner, in my work situation, how I spend my time, my money, am I genuinely seeking to live according to the will of God for my life? A few years ago, I was working for a company called Ernst & Young, based here in Edinburgh. But I had a choice to make, and it was a tough choice. I had just finished my MBA at business school, and I was off the job with IBM as a management consultant in their banking and insurance sector. It was an ideal job, because believe it or not, I'm a chartered insurer. And it just shows how exciting I am. <laughs> but, but I prayed about it over a period of time. Although it was a great job, I just knew it wasn't God's specific will for my life. And it was a tough decision. But that's the challenge we find from Joshua. What is the ultimate purpose for which you are living? Secondly, in responding to God's will, Joshua was passionate. Joshua didn't submit to God's will reluctantly. He was passionate about it. He didn't make a fuss and then respond. He wasn't like Basil Fawlty in Fawlty Towers, always complaining about the hotel guests and then reluctantly responding. Joshua was passionate about it. Someone who is passionate about what they do is Richard Branson. And he is forever passionate about coming up with new ideas. Some are pretty good ideas, and some are fairly crazy ideas. And his latest one is taking passengers on a flight to space. The only downside is, it will cost you £100,000 to go for a ride on the Virgin Galactic Space Liner. So if anyone here has a spare £100,000 lying around, then you could take a flight with Richard Branson up to space. Joshua was passionate. His passion was to serve God. He was one of the twelve Moses sent into Canaan to spy out the land. We read in Numbers chapter 13. And along with Caleb, Joshua urged the people to take the land by faith, despite the people being of a great size. For Joshua... God's purposes took priority over everything else. He should echo what Jim Elliot said. Wherever you are, be aware. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. So let me ask you, are you passionate about living for God? Do you and I share the spirit of Jim Elliot? And when we are passionate about living for God, we will also be passionate about seeing people one for Jesus Christ. The two things 
always go together. Currently, we're running a course called Christianity Explored, as you know, in the lounge. And it has been so exciting during these courses, seeing people growing in their knowledge of God and some becoming Christians. I don't know if you know this, but there has actually been developed a course run by Christianity Explored that you can run in your own home using videos. And there are 14 talks, and they're all presented by Rico Tice. Here's a thought. Why not start one up in your home? Invite your neighbours and friends, get them around for a coffee, build a relationship, and go through the course together. It is a brilliant opportunity. Some people in this church are already planning on doing just that. If you want to find out more, just see Robin Turton. So Joshua was responding to God's will. The second lesson we learn from Joshua's life is that he was trusting in God's power. In verses 6 to 9. Now it was going to be no easy task. Crossing the River Jordan and conquering the land posed a serious challenge. And you will have your own challenges. Maybe you're facing some challenge even in this coming week that no one else knows about. So how do you gain the victory over these challenges and make an impact in your world for Jesus Christ? There are two things to notice here. Firstly, Joshua was prepared. Joshua was a brilliant military warrior. He was the General Norman Schwarzkopf of his time. But this was worthless apart from his dependence upon God. In verse 8, if you look down, we find that if he is to know victory in his life and be strong and courageous, Joshua must spend quality time reading the Bible and in prayer. And this is vital. The way we gain victory over the challenges in our life depends on how closely we are walking with God. Graeme Scroggin comments helpfully, To expect God to give us help and direction without our employing the means which he has placed within our our reach is not faith, but presumption. It is not trust, but trifling. And the more time Joshua spent alone with God, the more he realised how utterly dependent he was upon God. Why? Because he began to appreciate the bigness of God. You see, there is such a thing as a fear of God. A right fear of God. God is not our mate, or our pal, or our buddy. He is God. And because he is God, we trust in him and his power. For God perfects his strength in weakness. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that God says, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In September, Alison and I went to Lake Garda for a holiday, and it was great. We lived on pieces of ice cream for 10 days. We stayed at a resort called Riva, which is up near the Italian Alps, the Dolomites. And so we thought we would go on a cable car trip to the top of this really big mountain. Now, it was really big, so we had to absolutely trust in the cable car. I wasn't scared at all, you understand. Very macho. However, Alison was absolutely petrified. Her face went a funny white colour. And no one has ever held my hand tighter. 
And just like we put our trust in that cable car, we trust in God in the challenges we face, not because we know how it's going to work out, but because we know the God who will work it out. Warren Wearsby writes in his commentary, God did not give Joshua explanations as to how he would accomplish these things. Because God's people live in promises and not on explanations. So the challenge for us is, are we growing in our knowledge of who God is by reading the Bible and spending time in prayer? And if you have never done this before, let me give you a friendly challenge. How about in 2005, reading through the whole Bible in a year? Okay? The way to do it is to follow a daily guide you can buy at the bookshop downstairs or from Wesley Owen on George Street. And if you are really ambitious, you can try Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading calendar. And he was from Scotland, therefore it must be good. And we are not biased. And this takes you through the Old Testament once, and the New Testament and the Psalms twice in the year. And I would highly recommend doing that. Joshua knew the reality of God's power in his life. Why? Because he was aware of his own weaknesses and because he was prepared. And because he was prepared, it also meant he was peculiar. Now, being peculiar, in this sense, doesn't mean being weird. Okay? It doesn't mean walking down Princess Street with a big red plastic nose on your face. In being in Christ, we become, as Titus 2 verse 14 has it, a people that are his very own. We belong to Jesus. We don't belong to anybody else. Our peculiarity is internally motivated and externally revealed. And so we have peculiar minds, peculiar hearts, peculiar desires, peculiar motives. We will never be effective for God we will never fully know the power of God in our lives. Until a student knows that, they will never make an impact in their college or university for Christ. Until a businessman knows that, he will never stand for Christ in his office. And until a lady is prepared to be thought peculiar by her peers, she will never live effectively to the glory of God. It is to live a life that stands out from what goes as normal in the world. Alistair Begg, the pastor of Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio, writes, the peculiarity of integrity in a shady world, the peculiarity of reality in a cardboard world, the peculiarity of purity in a dirty world. Being a peculiar people is to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Read Numbers chapter 27 that Joshua knew this in his own life. He was a man in whom is the Spirit. And we are to be filled with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5 verse 18 we are told, Do not get drunk in wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Next year will be the centenary of when a revival came to this church. The Holy Spirit moved in a powerful way in people's lives. Wouldn't it be great to know afresh and in an increasing way the reality of God's power 
in our lives and in our midst as a church. We are to be a people that belong to Jesus. So Joshua was responding to God's will. And he was trusting in God's power. Finally, Joshua was waiting on God's timing. Verses 10 to 18. Joshua was being patient. Waiting does not come naturally to us. Just over a week ago, a week past on Thursday, I had to wait. My car broke down. So the AA came out to fix it. I told the guy I was going to a church meeting. And then they got on to what I did. So I told him I was going to be a minister. And I've never seen anyone's jaw drop quite so quickly. I told him I'd pray for him. And Joshua, and Joshua did. And Joshua was told to wait. In verse 11 we find he was to wait three more days before going into the promised land. Now, imagine you were Joshua. You had just spent 40 years waiting to enter Canaan. And now you have to wait three more days. But Joshua was about to learn something he would never forget. God's timing is perfect. On Friday, we moved house. Talk about stress. And my brother and father-in-law came and helped us move. And I've always thought, it is good to keep your parents-in-law busy. And we... He's not here tonight, by the way, so I can say that. And we had to plan exactly when we would move things out of our house and into our new house. And there are boxes lying everywhere. And by the way, if anyone here enjoys painting, please do come and see me. You'll be my best friend. And waiting on God's timing is all part of a life that makes an impact. Joshua was about to see God perfecting his plans during these next three days. Spies would be sent out to explore the region. But there was another reason why they had to wait. We find out in chapter 2. Somebody needed saved. What was her name? Rahab. What was her occupation? She was a prostitute. And do you know what? I'm sure some people would have despised her. But God loved her. She was someone genuinely seeking after God. And God would not turn her away. So what do we do when God tells us to wait? We are patient. God's timing is always perfect. We see this supremely in the coming of Jesus into this world. But when the time has fully come, God sent his son. In God's plan of salvation, Joshua was only the shadow Jesus Christ is the reality. And he came that we would enter that rest in having peace with God. And I wonder if there is someone here tonight who would enter that rest and come to know peace with God. There is nothing in the entire world more important. We started tonight by thinking about the President of the United States, George W. Bush. He was a man born into a world of privilege. A person, a person of seemingly great influence and importance in the world. Born in 1902, a lady known as the Little Woman lived a very different life. This little woman worked as a housemaid. But she had a vision 
of going to China to tell people in that distant land of God's love for them. So she applied to a mission organisation. But she was rejected. Her education did not meet the requirements. And then she heard of a missionary working in China who was looking for someone to carry on her work. This little woman saved up some money and on the 15th of October 1932 she set off for London on the long train journey to China through Europe and Russia. That is where Gladys Aylward served God until her death in 1970. Her life story was made into a movie called The Inn of the Sixth Happiness. Newsweek magazine reviewed the movie and wrote, In order for a movie to be good, the story should be believable. The reviewer just couldn't believe that this seemingly nobody could make such an impact in her world for Jesus Christ. So how did it happen? Gladys responded to God's will. She trusted in God's power and she waited on God's timing. At the end of her life, Gladys wrote of herself, My heart is full of praise that once insignificant, uneducated and ordinary in every way could be used to his glory for the blessing of his people in poor, persecuted China. Maybe God has called you not to be a missionary, but to serve him in Edinburgh. God wants you to live for him in that home, in that street, in that office, in that hospital, in that school, in that university. The challenge from Joshua and the challenge from Gladys Aylward is, are you living a life that makes an impact? Let's pray.